I'm going to try my best not to be long-winded today. This is my first time back with the microphone after about uh, four weeks away. And Dusty and the youth group um, done a wonderful job. Uh, amen. Leading us through discussions and the acrostics that Dusty brought to our attention. Um, hopefully make it memorable uh, so we can uh, learn to be better people. And that's God's intent for us all to become better and not bitter. Amen? But leading out of all those uh, encouraging things Dusty uh, led us on those discussion topics, today uh, we're going in, but the lighting is a little bit uh, jumbled in here today uh, where they're doing the construction, and those are the only lights we'll turn on, and then the only way we can get those to turn on is if these collared ones turn on, so the screen isn't as apparent as it could be if the lights were a little dimmer, but the sermon series that we're starting today is entitled Unhappy, and the tagline is Childish Ways. How many knows some adults that has some pretty childish ways? So if you're a couple, please don't look to the left or the right. They'll think you're talking about them, and that wouldn't be good. Um, maybe it's Rick and Doug sitting back here, childhood friends, and <laughs> don't look over and say anything to them right now. Just look straight forward, and we'll get through this together. But there is, it seems to me, more unhappiness today than there was just a short time ago. It seems the whole world is just simply unhappy. I don't think that's God's will for us. Unhappiness is on the rise in our society and the whole world as a whole. We're seeing this happen that there's a mass migration happening in the U.S. in our population. I've done some studies recently and it's urbanization that people are moving towards cities and away from rural areas, and people in cities are moving to rural areas. It's statistics, it's data, it's the census that just recently happened in 2020. And unhappiness, I believe, is what's driving those shifts amongst us. And it's not only just in where they live, but it's also a shift that is happening happening in the workplace. I've heard this on a podcast several times recently that it's at an all-time high, the people that are leaving occupations to go to another occupation. They want to try something new, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when it's in a mass, that means there's something going on, and I believe it's spiritual. 
you're allowed to say amen. Because what's happening in the natural is due to what's happening in the heavenlies, in my opinion. And they're leaving these occupations, and, and I looked it up, and it said that 52% want to, this year, leave one job for another job. 52%. That's more than half want to work somewhere different. Everybody say unhappy. Maybe you got a grouchy boss. JR's pointing two doors down. <laughs> you know it's really bad when you work for your son and he's your boss. I, I get it, <laughs> JR, I get it. Spare the rods, pull the child. Fifty-two <laughs> percent want to, but also in that same article that I was reading, it says that forty-four percent have already made that decision and are currently working towards and planning towards making that transition from one job to another. Fifty-two percent want to. Forty-four percent are already have. Applications submitted to other places. They're planning to make those moves. Unhappiness presses us to think that if this or that happens, it'll get better. An old timer once said to me, no matter where you go, there you are. And I think a lot of times in our unhappiness, we're blaming others for our unhappiness when it's actually should be where we look inward and say, what is going on? And if we want to evaluate anybody or judge anybody, we should begin internally ourselves. The Bible says that judgment, if judgment's going to happen, it must begin at the house of God. So prior to covid Returning to church in statistics, it's only in the 30-some percentile range that people that have returned to church that attended church prior to COVID. Scripture teaches that in the last days there will be a falling away. Now, I'm not telling you that it is the last days, but that's a sign if there's a falling away. How important is your religion and your relationship with God to you this is internal questions I'm not asking you to judge your neighbor on what are they doing I'm asking you let's look inward and say what am I doing and why am I so unhappy I'm confident that we are not created by God to live in despair. And in that statement, I'm not saying that you won't endure hard times or that troubles will not come upon Christians. Because we all know too well that Christians go through pain. The Apostle Paul was shipwrecked, he was abandoned. He was left for dead. He was beaten. But yet, in the midst of that, he didn't become unhappy. 
because there's an occasion in the book of Acts where the apostle Paul lands in a jail cell and what are they doing about midnight? They're singing praises to God. They're lifting hands and him and his cohort is there and they're praising God and guess what? The shackles fall off, the doors fling open and things change. He could have sat there and said, woe is me, I can't believe God has abandoned me, I'm so unhappy, I'm so just ready to put this religion thing off, the relationship is gone, I don't feel God around me. But when you don't feel Him, if you will lift your hands and you will open your mouth and you begin to praise Him, I promise you the Bible says He inhabits the praises of His people. He will come running when you sing a new song unto Him. I'm confident that we're not to live in despair. Perfect occasion of this in the Old Testament is the book of Job. He lost it all. And his friends come and told him, just reject God, put him off, just blame it all. Then do away with all that religious part of you, Job. And Job says this one statement that it points out more so in Job than any other scripture in it. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Is there anybody sitting in this room today feeling unhappy and you walked in here thinking, I don't know about this anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got situations going on. I'm facing troubles and trials and I'm being rejected and I'm being perplexed on every side. But guess what? Lift up your voice. Cry aloud and spare not. And watch and see if God will not make a difference. Happiness is a decision that we make on how we're going to deal with situations that we're facing. Look at your neighbor and smile real big and say, I'm happy. That wasn't very encouraging to me. I, I felt like you should have been a little bit happy in your approach to saying, I'm happy. So try to smile a little bit as you're grinning and say, no, 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 I, I'm really happy. This joy that I have world didn't give it to me yeah uh-huh there's a joy and the joy of the Lord is my strength if there's ever been a human on this planet that deserved the right to be unhappy I'm talking about a physical body that had red blood flowing through their veins the person that deserved to be unhappy more so than anybody else that has ever lived, his name is Jesus. God himself took upon flesh. And in John 1 it says he dwelt among us, he lived among us. And he left heaven to come and live here. And the Bible says that he was rejected. Human beings rejected God in the flesh. If anybody deserved to be unhappy, it was Jesus. But I don't know about you, but as you read through the Gospels and you read through the New Testament, you're going to see over and over and over again that Jesus was despised, He was rejected, but guess what? He went on and did what God called Him to do no matter what. He wasn't put off by situations. He didn't base what am I going to do today on how are people treating me. It 
it's easy for us to get caught up in saying, why, as a Christian, are we so despised? Why does the world look down upon Christians and say, you know, you people, you're a bunch of ignorant people that believe in something invisible. They don't understand the faith that is internal on the inside of us. If Jesus, God incarnate, wasn't unhappy, what makes us feel that we're more special or have more rights than God himself? How unhappy are you really? This isn't just an age thing either. Our kids, our young people, they imitate and they take on characteristics that are handed down on them through humanity. And adults, I'm telling you in this room, the young are watching. You're passing on a way to exist. And I believe we need to do better. Is there any adults in the room that say, I'll help? When we done the baby dedication a few weeks ago, and crew man was on this stage, Every person in this room stood up and said, I will do my part to make sure there is a church that exists so that young people can know a God that can save people in the midst of their depression and their despair and their pain and their suffering, that God is well able to meet us right where we're at. I'm thankful for this body known as the bridge. I'm thankful for the encouragement that I see you guys encouraging one another as you face storms, as trials come, that you're there together. That's what God intends for a church to be. The Bible says that when one is weak, another is strong. And we're to lift each other up. That we're to encourage one another. That we're to strengthen one another. 1 Timothy chapter 6, let's see, there's a picture but I don't know if it's going to be there shows up pretty good but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it the reason for unhappiness is because we're not content we don't accept it's okay just how we are in this moment. There's nothing wrong with striving or digging or building a better relationship with God. And do that on a daily basis. Be content with that thing that you have in the moment. Keeping up with the Joneses may be a worldly example, but that shouldn't be a Christian example. My father-in-law is the only one that believes me. Look at your neighbor and say, don't keep up with the Joneses. I don't even know who they are. <laughs> Glad I don't. I've got a friend named Jones. Unhappy 
childish ways. Here's a story in Matthew chapter 18 that I want to use for a text for this sermon series that we're doing, this teaching series. If you have your Bible, turn your Bible open to Matthew chapter 18. If you've got a phone, flip it to your Bible app. And let's read Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 1. It says, At about that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Everybody say, I want to go to heaven. You need to be more, have more childish ways. Verse 4, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child and is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall to sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. So there's a trait that I want to pull out of this story to begin this week one. Talking about being unhappy. The disciples had spent years with Jesus. They had followed him. They had, this, he was their rabbi. He was their teacher. He was the person that they looked up to most. And when we get into a way of life where we compare ourselves one to another, there's not much wisdom in that. So as the disciples were there, they asked Jesus this question. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We all liked having input. We all liked having our opinions to be listened to. We all liked to have influence. But these disciples was asking a question, and they asked Jesus this question, and I love the way Jesus answers questions, and people get mad at me in my pastoring style because they'll come and ask me a question, and I usually ask them a question in return, or I'll paint a picture, or I'll make a drawing, or I'll do it that way. And they're like, I just want yes and no. Right? Shannon's sitting there shaking his head. Yeah, that's my pastor. Exactly. So really there was a trait that they were in, and these were not old people. The disciples, most of the time in the pictures that we see, that we think about a disciple of Jesus, we think there's some old gray-haired, gray-beard men that had followed Jesus for years, but actually they only spent about three years with him once his ministry began, and most of them were extremely young. And really they were mostly all teenagers. And there's a way that, I don't know exactly their age, but I do know that there's a place in the Gospels that says that Peter, at the age of 20, would have been the one that that was his age and he was 
most likely, according to historians, the, the eldest of all the disciples. So Jesus' oldest disciple was basically 20 years old. And most historians, historians say that John was the youngest, and John the disciple, he's the one that wrote the book of Revelations and the, the Gospel of John and, and, and the other epistles of John. He was the youngest among them, and some people say he was basically 12 to 13 years old. That's pretty young. Everybody say childish ways. Isn't it amazing that we expect kids to act grown up and we grown ups act like kids? Isn't it amazing that the standards that we place on others is a higher standard than we place on ourselves? Kids will be kids. You need to instruct them, you need to rear them in the admonition of the Lord, the scripture teaches us. We're to teach them godly ways. But these disciples were there and they asked him this question, who will be the greatest? Because when you're young, you're so ambitious and you're so uh, curious about life and you're so curious about how power and you see these affluent people that has positions that makes decisions and you look at them as a young person and think, maybe someday I'll be a leader. But can I tell young people in this room today, you can make a difference. It doesn't matter your age. You can make godly decisions. You can speak words of encouragement. Don't wait till you get old to be childish in your ways. God expects us to lift each other up. Young people, you stood on this stage. You preached sermons. I didn't do that when I was your age. I'm in awe that there was teenagers stood up here and read from their notes and spoke about the oracles of God and said, this says God's word and it applies to us how? That's not common. With the bridge are blessed. Told you a few weeks ago, we're more than 30% that morning, right around 30% hovering there of young people, people below 18 years old in our church service. That's amazing. Shouldn't we be grateful to God and thank God for kids back there in nursery and thank God for children's church workers and nursery workers? I thank God for them. So what trait were these young disciples? And these traits can be good or bad that we're going to discuss in the next few weeks. But today I want to talk about this term. It's called curiosity. Everybody say curiosity. When I say that word, the automatic this little slogan or saying comes to my mind is curiosity killed the cat. Anybody ever heard that? Curiosity killed the cat. Let's see, you put me a, my next thing up here. Anybody know this guy? Anybody ever read about this cat? Or monkey? He's not a cat. I remember how he had a book when I was a kid. And uh, I read it. And it was a book about Curious George. Curious George was this little cartoon character. It's a childhood book that we 
hopefully most of us have read, or if you haven't, you missed out, but as you read through there, and you know there's only a few, page, few words on the page, but a picture. How many likes them kind of books? Amen, that's the best books ever. A picture book, that's really good books. Very few words, and pictures worth a thousand words, so you can put like one sentence on there and a picture, that's better than a lot of words, and you don't even have to read a whole lot. But Curious George was this character that was curious. Kind of amazing that his name described him, right? But Curious George, in the book that I remember, he was putting a puzzle together. Did anybody ever read that book, Curious George, where he had a puzzle and he was arranging the puzzle? And next thing you know, he eats a piece of the puzzle. That's not good. Anybody ever have a kid put a marble up their nose or eat a coin or, you know, <laughs> kids are kids, right? They're curious. But the whole part of that book, I think they was trying to cause kids to learn a lesson for life that, yes, we can be curious, but there has to be wisdom applied to our curiosity. Because I can be too curious. And curious ways will cause us to end up eating a puzzle piece and end up in a hospital and them taking an x-ray of us and finding out the puzzle piece was there. And poor little curious George. He made it through it by the end of the book. But his curiosity got the best of him. But the best thing was it didn't kill the cat. I believe that God wants us to have in Jesus' statement that he answered these individuals because their curiosity was who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And it says Jesus took a child and placed amongst them. And he says, unless you become as this child, you're not going to get to heaven anyway. If there's anything that needs to happen in the church today, I believe, is for adults to become more child, childish in our ways. That we have a curious nature about us, that we look towards the things of God and we're curious about them. And whenever we speak of spiritual things, is there a curiosity in you that wonders, wow, what if? What is God doing? Curiosity is something that we need as Christians. The Bible says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Reagan just taught that lesson a few weeks ago. That God fearfully and wonderfully made us in His image. And He placed within us curiosity to be there. And we can use that curiosity for the good or for the bad. They were curious, these disciples, about who's going to be the most powerful. When they should have been more curious about, can I even get to heaven? Amen? It don't matter if I have a golden house or golden streets or anything else. If I'm a homeless person in heaven, it's going to be better than being the opposite place. It's not whose shoulders can I step on to get where I want to go. It's how much can I serve humanity as a whole. And if the church begins to serve the way Jesus did, he wasn't unhappy because he was willing. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve, he said. 
the people in this room, you guys are really good at this. You serve each other often. There's people that come every week and they carry stuff in from that trailer and they pack it in here and they set it up and they run cables and they, they, they get the music all set and they, there's other groups come in and they carry in the chairs and they get it ready for your kids and there's other people that come and, and they go out there and they put up a table for you and make sure and stop by, save a lot early and get some bananas and some apples and some oranges and, and they come in and brew coffee and they're the greeter team and I'm grateful for them people. Those things matter. And it's so awesome for me to get a watch as a pastor as that happens and people come in and grab a cup of coffee and just get that cup of coffee and think it just brewed on its own. If Shannon hadn't got here early, we would have no coffee. Everybody say thank you, Shannon. <laughs> That's him right here. Raise your arm, Shannon. You, you, yeah, there you go. You're recognized. But sometimes it's not just the ones that just get here early. There's people that stays after. Ryan, sitting right behind Shannon, every week after service is over, when they hit stop on the recorder on the go live here on Facebook Live and people's watching, they don't get here early. <laughs> Actually, they get here about right on time usually. Enough time for some coffee. That's okay. And they say, my gift is, I'm not going to come early and set up. I'm going to stay late and tear down. And they carry stuff out and put it in the trailer and prepare for next week. There's other people that don't do that. There's other people in this room. You're on a prayer group for the church. And when there's a need that happens, put a prayer request in that prayer group, and people begin to pray and intercede on your behalf. That's a, I'm grateful for those things. Everybody in this room, you have a place at the bridge. Every one of us has a place, and that place is serving our fellow man in some way, shape, or form. And only it's not just about us here at this church either, because we serve our community. And there's people in this room that you came during serve days, and, and, you, and you go with the teenagers downtown when they go to the apartment complexes, and, and you help in the community. The church should serve because that's what Jesus said to do. If you've been unhappy for some time now, I promise you this one thing. If you will begin to serve. if you, I heard a sermon one time that my friend did, and I think it's the second sermon of his life. He talked about the power of the towel. And he brought in a towel, you know, like the server at fancy restaurants. And he had that towel over his arm, and he talked about the power that Jesus, in his, his way of showing us that if we put that towel over our hand and we begin to serve our fellow man, that we will become more happy. And that makes no sense, because most people think, if I get a position of this position that I don't need to serve anymore, now I'm a lord over people. No, you're not. That pyramid is inverted. The more influence you have or the more position you have, the deeper down you are in that pyramid and the more weight is on your shoulders. Amen, Ammon? Become responsible. It feels like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Because you're not there to serve, be served, but you're there to serve. Curious George. The disciples were curious about who was going to be the greatest 
But if we go back and study curiosity, and I think about all throughout Scripture, the places of curiosity, one that comes to mind the most is in the Garden of Eden. We just come out of a sermon series all about God's gardens. And in the Garden of Eden, there was a curiosity that was within human beings that God had created. Adam and Eve, and they were the only two on the planet. But there was a curiosity in them that caused them to sin. Your curiosity can drive you in a bad direction. How many knows that kids that are too curious will end up in trouble? They'll get into situations they don't need to get in. Man, Leslie was late for church this morning. Good thing everybody else was too, so we wasn't alone. <laughs> but Leslie's got them animals. She just said stupid dogs. Poor Jake and Zoe and Mindy. They have such a hard life laying around in the air conditioner all day. So she lets them out this morning and the... Are you allowed to say like middle dog? Is that, you know, middle child syndrome? <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody got three kids and you got a middle child syndrome? You know what's going on, right? So the middle child of me and Leslie is this little dog, and she's kind of got a mind of her own, and she does it her way. So Leslie lets them outside, and next thing you know, we're getting ready, and she goes out there to find them, and the other two, you know, come running in because they know treats are coming, but Curious George curious Zoe anyway, um, decides to go down way past Ernie's house and Karen's house and is down in the yard down by the road and Leslie says, well, we've got to drive down the driveway and go to church, but we're going to drive down the driveway because we get, need to go find Zoe. So we drive down through there and she's looking both ways, you know, around the driveway and she's going to be around here somewhere. She don't go very far and we go down there and we get past Ernie's house and when we look over to the left, there's Zoe on the side of the hill. I don't know if she was curious or she was just being mean. And Leslie thought so much of her that she wouldn't even let her back in the house. She made me do it because she was afraid she would beat her. I know all too well the middle child syndrome. Yep, poor Ben. Exactly right. Jodon, you're there. You know what's like. Curiosity got the best of us middle children. You know, at Carver Wren, I mean... Come on now, the, the, curious George, if there ever was one, Carver in. And Adam and Eve, God's handmade humans. It says he formed them out of the dust of the ground. And he created them in his image. And he leaned down to earth and went, breath of life entered those dust balls and they became a living being. And in that life he put attributes in them. And we may think that the world was full of cavemen back then but God put intellect into humans. 
They were not stupid, unable to communicate, and didn't have a language. They spoke things. Adam named the animals because God put that in him. And also inside of them was a curiosity. I think it's in Genesis chapter 3. So they're very curious. God would come down and talk to them through the day, the cool of the day, and walk with them, have communion with them, and God with man. How awesome, right? A garden of Eden, a place of bliss. Ollie Hop Noodles. Haven of bliss. But in the midst of that garden, one day, they was walking over through there, and Adam and Eve was together, and Lolly, Lolly, traveling along. And he look over, and there's that tree. God said, don't go around that tree. Middle kids just go around the tree. It's just the way it is. <laughs> you, can't, you can't help it. I mean, it's just in us to just be curious, I guess. I don't know. And Eve, there with Adam, they walk over to their Genesis chapter 3, I think it's verse 6, where it says that Eve partook of the fruit because the snake was there, and we can blame it on to the snake all we want, but she's the one ate. He didn't shove it in her mouth. She took of it, and she took a bite. I don't know if it was an apple, orange, pear. I, I don't know what it was. But it was a fruit of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And when she partook, immediately they understood things, and the knowledge of good and evil was within them. But her curiosity is what got her. But it says, you know, everybody acts like it was Eve's fault, but Adam was actually standing right beside her because if you read that verse, in Genesis chapter 3, as Eve partook of the fruit, she handed it to him, and he was beside of her. Don't blame everybody else. You're responsible for your own actions. And Adam could have said, not me. <laughs> you just messed up, chick. But he didn't do it. He took the fruit. And death come on humanity. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. By the sweat of their brow would they eat. They had to work now. They didn't have to work before. Curiosity. Curiosity is a quality related, relate, related to inquisitive thinking such as exploration, investigation, and learning. It's evident by means of observation in humans and other animals. Curiosity is heavily associated with all aspects of human development which derives the process of learning and the desire to acquire knowledge and skill. Your childish way that God is asking of us in this place today, how long has it been? In the midst of your storm, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your trial, you're perplexed on every side. How long has it been when you're facing a situation that you didn't think back through and try to decide something according to your opinion or according to your will or according to what you thought, but you picked up that holy book and said, what does God say about this situation? What if our curiosity led us to the truth? 
The Bible says, know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And in our freedom, we should be happier than we've ever been. Amen? My freedom in Christ. My freedom in my salvation. It liberates us to a point where that we know that God is here dwelling amongst us. And when we come in after a week long of troubles and trials and pain and, and all these situations going on in life, and you walk in this place, and we got here, and next thing you know, they start the worship set. And what do you do in the midst of that situation? Do we sit there and say, woe is me? Because I'm like Eeyore. If you want to talk about a cartoon character, I'm not as much Curious George as I am Eeyore. Well, I don't know if today's going to be any better. Probably just go through the next week just like the last one. Come on, somebody. or somebody else sitting in here. You better be shaking your head yes because you're not all a bunch of just, woo, tiptoeing in the tulips and not like Ernie walking in. James 1.14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. The desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Proverbs 4.23, I'm getting through these and I'm done. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart. Proverbs 23, verse 7, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's a heart issue that we've got going on. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, The human heart is the most deceitful thing of all things, and despitefully wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Verse 10 says, But I, the Lord, search the hearts and examine the secret motives, and I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Like a partridge that hatches eggs that she has not laid, so are those who get wealth by unjust means. At midlife they will lose their riches, and in the end they will become poor and old fools. But we will worship at your throne, eternal, high, and glorious God. Out of the heart comes the issues of life. The heart is more deceitful than anything. Luke 6, this is in the New Testament. It says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. How many wants to be better and not bitter? Tired of being unhappy, I'm ready to be happy. I'm ready to smile again. I'm ready to have the joy of the Lord just permeating from me. When people get around to me, they say, what has happened to you this past weekend? Amen? And an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart bring forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Mom said this Wednesday night at our Bible study it was having on first Wednesday down at the camp. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Dusty encouraged us about the power of our words. The Bible says that the power of life and death are in the tongue. 
I'm telling you, this week, become more curious about the things of God. Let the cares of the riches of this life diminish and say, God, I'm ready to chase you because the happiest days of my life are when you are in the midst of the garden with me. We need to become more childlike because Jesus said we can't get to heaven unless we do. Quit being a bunch of old fuddy-duddies and become more curious for the things of God. The older we are, the wiser we should become that we know that this stuff that I'm saying is true. Your life is just like a checkbook. If you don't ever put anything in your checkbook and you don't keep a register in your checkbook, keep writing a bunch of checks and see how happy you get. Anybody ever got one of them notices in the mail where the bank sends you a, one of them nasty grams? <laughs> I got one one time. I had to go up to Dad and borrow money to pay off the bank. I didn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> Because my dad was driving a 1979 Pontiac Bonneville and I was driving up the driveway in a 1999 Ford truck that was brand new and I had to borrow money off him to pay the bank. That's pretty childish in my ways. <laughs> I wasn't known for my wisdom. But you know what my dad did? He didn't say school hard knocks. He just looked at me and handed me the money. Because I fell short. He gave me grace. And I'm telling you in this place today that our Heavenly Father, when we fall short, if we'll come to Him and we'll surrender to Him and we'll be curious about what can this Christian life be to me as a non-Christian. you will find grace that you've never known. I paid my dad back for those of you who are wondering. And I haven't borrowed from him since. Now, Leslie, that's a different story. She goes up there and borrows off of him all the time. Not really. But he likes her better than me. <laughs> Won't you stand? Unless you become like little children, you will no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. If you bow your head and close your eyes and, and ponder this truth. I thought it was funny during the past few months when teenagers was all graduating and there's a graduate or two sitting in the room and Everybody's looking at him and laughing, thinking, yeah, mm -hmm. school was tough, wasn't it? Welcome to adulthood. <laughs> Life is going to smack you in the face. <laughs> God, help us to become more curious for your ways. 
God, for the seniors and the elders in this room. For those with vast amounts of wisdom and life experience. and God, I pray today that you would allow and awaken a curiosity within us. Lord, that we would leave our adulthood and we would return to our childish ways. And God, that you would turn our unhappy and you would take that un away and make us happy once again. Give us the joy of our salvation. Let a refreshing begin to happen at the bridge. God, that a newness of life would come upon us. And Lord, we would walk in your will, that we would walk in your ways. Lord, that we wouldn't question when you ask us to go serve. But Lord, we would all jump in line and say, let me be first. Help us, oh God, to be like you. If you're in this place today and you don't know him as your Lord and Savior and you've never accepted him or asked him to come into your life and you're hearing me talk about these things and you're curious about what are you saying about the joy of salvation. Salvation is free. Jesus bought it by hanging on that cross, by being buried in the bellies of the earth and on the third day rising again and ascending into heaven. And he's making intercession for you and me. Salvation is free. You did not earn it. His blood on that cross of Calvary will set you free. If you've never known that, today is a good day to make that decision to follow him. Nobody looking around. Nobody worried about what your neighbor is thinking. If you're in this place today and you're saying, Pastor, I want to give him my life because I'm tired of being unhappy. And today is my day and I feel it and I sense it and I know he's dealing with me right now. My heart is beating. My hands are sweaty. And I'm feeling this urge to come to him. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hand and say, that's me. Today's the day. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? Today is the day. Now, if there's anybody in this room and you've known him before, but maybe you've turned away from him, you've abandoned him, you've traveled down the roads of life and you know that you knew him in your young childhood days, maybe you were baptized as a kid, but you've abandoned him, you've left him. And you can sense in this place today that you know, I want to return to my childish ways. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And I want to be refreshed. I want to be renewed. I want to be strengthened. And today is my day. The joy of salvation come flooding in my life. And God is dealing with me right now. And I'm going to rededicate myself to him. If that's you in this place today, just lift up your hand. Say, I'm coming, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else, just lift up your hand. Say, I want refreshed. Amen. Thank you for that hand. There's others. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Heavenly Father, you know those that lifted their hand. And God, you said you would draw nigh to those that draw nigh to you. 
Jesus, I know that you have come running and that you're setting up residence in their heart. For those that lifted their hand for salvation and rededication, come, make yourself aware to them and, and let them know, God, that you're near them. That you're going to walk throughout this week with them. Lord, that they're going to drop the, drop the un off and be happy this week. Not that everything will be perfect, but they will uh, deal with situations in a different way. And Lord, they'll have a newness in, uh, about them, Lord, that there will be joy on their face. Let their peers see a difference this week, oh God. Thank you for everything you did to set us free from sin. And Jesus, we're not worried about who we're going to be in heaven. We just want to get there. And we know the only way there is through and by the blood that you shed on the cross of Calvary. And we accept it as our salvation we cannot work for but we just ask for salvation in Jesus name everybody say amen Leslie, sing that out one time. Won't you just lift your hands right there where you're at? Praise your way out of those situations that God has you in at this moment. You're facing battles and you seem burdened down and it seems life like this life is too much. Just lift your hands and say, God, this is just like a valve and I'm lifting my hand and I'm saying, flow into my life and change situations, oh God. Close your eyes and just, just think upon him. all we need in this place.